You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. again warn the disciples in 1215 Luke that our lives don't consist of the abundance of things that we possess. In other words, quantity is no insurance of quality. You know, many people have many things that they purchase with money, but they've lost the things that money cannot buy. They have all this wealth, but they don't have salvation. They have everything that money can buy, but they don't accept the free gift of salvation. Look at the Apostle Paul as a great example of this. Jesus said to us, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? There were people in the Bible, and people today, who think money or material possessions will fill a longing in their heart that God put there. In today's message, Pastor Dave will be sharing about idolizing material possessions. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 16, as he continues his message, The Effects of Salvation. time do you spend living after the spirit how much time do you spend living after the flesh are you a new creature have old things passed away are all things now new what are the effects of salvation on your life can we see these effects in your life but as we study today in our scriptures i see the effects of salvation on the philippian jailer i see the effects of salvation and they're very very similar to the story of zacchaeus I see four things that the Philippian jailer does in his new life that I can see the effects of salvation. Number one, I see regeneration. Number two, I see restoration. Number three, I see these twins, restitution and reparation. And then finally, I see rejoicing. So as we study today, I want to look at these four things and see what they mean in the jailer's life. Let's review, if we will. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke went to Macedonia following Paul's vision from the Holy Spirit. Upon arriving in Philippi, they went to the river where the women were meeting. They were meeting there for prayer because there wasn't a synagogue because Philippi didn't have enough male Jewish men to warrant one. So they were meeting it here. They meet Lydia, the seller of purple. God opens her heart and she receives salvation through Jesus Christ. They're feeling pretty confident. They're pretty feeling sure of themselves. So the next day, they go out again. This time they come across a slave girl. She's possessed by a spirit of divination. They end up casting out the spirit and getting into trouble because the girl made much profit for her owners when she told fortune under the spirit. The owners of the girl pull these men, Paul, Silas, and everybody, they take them before the magistrates, and the thing is that only Paul and Silas go before them because they're Jewish. They leave Timothy and Luke out because of their Gentile background. The magistrates have a makeshift trial. Paul and Silas are found guilty, and they're sentenced to be beaten with rods. They're sentenced to prison. And when they're in prison, this jailer comes, and to make matters worse, he puts their feet and their legs in stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praising God, and they're praying out loud. 
All of a sudden, there's this huge earthquake. The building shakes, walls fall down, doors fly open, and the chains that are chaining them fly off. It's amazing. It's truly a miracle that God does here. The jailer sees this happening, and he immediately wants to kill himself because the prisoners are gone, and he's facing their punishment. And Paul yells these beautiful words to the man in Acts 16, 28. Do yourself no harm. We are all here. Wow. So let's begin today's study as we look at verses 29 and 30. Then he, the jailer, called for a light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And when he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. So the first thing I see here is regeneration. Regeneration is the act of producing a new. And in our theology, we believe that the regeneration is a new birth of, by grace of God. That change, that the will of the natural enmity that man has towards God and his law are subdued. Regeneration. The principle of supreme love to God and his law and the holy affections are implanted in our heart. The heart transplant we've been talking about takes place. We're regenerated by the Spirit. Paul writes about this experience in Titus, in Titus 3, verses 3 to 7. He says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but by according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Regeneration is being born again by the Holy Spirit. And this happens when I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when I believe in his name. That's where I find new life, and that's where I find my hope. I'm saved, I've been saved by God's work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The washing and cleansing of my sin and my past, they're gone forever. We sang about the glorious day. It's a glorious feeling to know that your sins are forgiven. It's a glorious feeling to know that you're free in Christ now. And your past is gone. Let's face it, there's one thing we all have is a past. The gospel is great, because no matter how bad that past is, all can be forgiven, and all can be washed away. And that's good news. I don't care what horrible, ugly things that have existed in your life, the precious blood of Jesus Christ washes it away. It doesn't just cover it. It washes it away. The psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed my transgressions from me. I'm so glad he didn't say as far as the south is from the north. Because if you go north, you can get south. But if you go east, you'll always be going east. It never ends. The jailer was saved when he called upon Jesus Christ. He was born again and regeneration took place. We have to have a side note here, so I'll go over here. When Paul told the Philippian jailer that he and his household would be saved, he did not mean that the confession of the jailer would save his whole household. Don't make that mistake by thinking that because you accept Christ in your life, your whole household will be saved according to the Scripture. That's a misapplication. Everyone must make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and then they will be saved. 
The chances are better if you get saved because then you can witness and shine the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. But that doesn't mean they can be saved by proxy. It doesn't happen that way. I'm sorry. There's no scriptural basis for that. All must call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. So we see this regeneration took place in the jailer's life. The next thing I see is restoration. Let's look at verse 32. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. This is another effect of salvation, I see. Restoration is a renewal. It's a revival. It's the establishment of friendship between enemies. The establishment of a friendship between enemies. It's the restoration like a peace after a war. Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. The jailer has made peace with God through his faith in Jesus Christ. He's been restored. He and God are no longer enemies. He and God are no longer at enmity with one another. Restoration has taken place. And now we see the jailer listening to the word of God being taught in his household. This Roman centurion or, or whatever he was, the jailer, a Roman surely, is listening to the word of God being taught in his household, not only in his household, but by a Jew. If that's not restoration, I don't know what is. This Bible study is taking place in their house. His entire family is now attending with them. He made peace with his one-time enemy. One minute, he was putting Paul in the stocks. He was his tormentor. The next minute, he's his disciple, allowing Paul to teach him about Jesus Christ. There's a peace that has been made. This restoration has taken place. Jesus is our peace. And through his spirit, he gives us new understanding. Remember these words? For he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the commandments contained in ordinance, so as to create himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So we have regeneration. We certainly have restoration. And now we have restitution and reparation. Restitution and reparation go together. They're like twins here. Look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Restitution is the act of making good or giving an equivalent for any loss, damage, or injury. The jailer here is now dressing the wounds of Paul and Silas. He's dressing their wounds. He's trying to make restitution. It's very, very much like Zacchaeus wanting to give back the money that he defrauded people from. This same concept holds true in Christianity today. When we know Christ, we have a genuine repentance, and that leads a desire to redress wrongs, to make right wrongs that were done in the past. When someone becomes a Christian, they have this desire that is born deep inside of a conviction. They want to do good, and they want to make right whatever is possible. And the idea here, whenever possible, is very important because there are some crimes and sins which were committed that there is no adequate restitution. And in such cases, a Christian should make 
some form of restitution that demonstrates repentance, but at the same time, we don't have to feel guilty about our inability to make full restitution. Restitution is a result of our salvation, not a prerequisite to. Restitution is a result of our salvation, not a prerequisite to salvation. If you have received forgiveness of your sins through Jesus Christ, all of your sins are forgiven whether or not you've made restitution. Your sins are forgiven. They are washed away. The next thing I see is reparation in verse 34a. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. Reparation is an act of repairing. It's restoration to soundness or good taste. The jailer now feeds the men. He's giving their bodies a much-seated substance. He's trying to, to give them the strength from their wounds. He's trying to bring them back to health. He's trying to repair them. My favorite, Warren Wiersbe, says this about this whole situation. It is touching to see this new change of attitude that the jailer has as he washed the wounds of these two prisoners who are now his brothers in Christ. One of the true evidences of true repentance and an effect of salvation is a loving desire to make restitution and reparation wherever we have hurt others. We should not only wash the feet of others, that Jesus says in, in John 13, but we should also cleanse the wounds that we might have given others. So we have regeneration, we have restoration, we have restitution and reparation, and finally I see rejoicing. He says, and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. Salvation brings rejoicing. Salvation brings much rejoicing. Rejoicing is the act of expressing joy and gladness. The psalmist in Psalm 118.15 says, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Rejoicing is the subject of joy. Rejoicing is the experience of joy. But in what do you rejoice? Where does your rejoicing take place? Is it in your ability? Is it in a ministry that you might have? It is in your ability to make money or spend money? It is in your ability to collect possessions. Where do you rejoice at? Or maybe it is even something that you do for the Lord. Like I said, is that where you rejoice? Jesus warned about that type of rejoicing when he talked to the 70 that came back in Luke 10. He sent out 70 men in Luke 10, two by twos, and he gave them all kinds of authority, and he told them what to do when they went out. And they come back and they're rejoicing, giving each other high fives because they cast out demons in the name of the Lord. Woo-hoo! Hey, we did this in the name of the Lord. We did that in the name of the Lord. They're all pumped up with everything that did in the name of the Lord. Jesus rebuked them. He says in verse 20 of chapter 10, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits have subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. We rejoice in our salvation and our salvation alone, and that should be enough to cause us to be overwhelmed with rejoicing. As a Christians, we always have reasons to rejoice. We always have a reason to rejoice because our names are written in heaven. They're written in the Lamb's book of life. We've been chosen by the Father, accepted in the Beloved, and we've been adopted as sons and daughters. Jesus again warned the disciples in 12, 15, Luke, that our lives don't consist of the abundance of things that we possess. In other words, quantity is no insurance of quality. You know, many people have many things that they purchase with money, but they've lost the things that money cannot buy. They have all this wealth, but
but they don't have salvation. They have everything that money can buy, but they don't accept the free gift of salvation from God. Look at the Apostle Paul as a great example of this. The things he did before Christ were very commendable. He had a righteous life. He was obedient to the law, and he defended the religion of his fathers. He didn't do bad things that kept him away from Jesus. It was good things, he thought. Wiersbe says this about Paul. He had just enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get into heaven. Think about it. But one day while on the road to Damascus, remember we studied in chapter 9 of Acts? Paul met the Son of God. He met the hound of heaven, Jesus, and everything changed. He discovered that apart from Jesus Christ, everything else he attained was refuse. And he discovered that there were two kinds of righteousness or spiritual wealth. The kind you can get by works or works righteousness, or the kind you can get by faith. And only the faith righteousness was acceptable to God. And you know what? In that we rejoice. What did he tell the Philippians in Philippians 4, verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How many of you as children sang that? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. Re okay. Anyhow, you get what I'm trying to say. Rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice not in my circumstances, whether they be good or bad. Nor do I rejoice in my situations. We are not commanded to rejoice in these. I do, however, rejoice in my Lord, for he is my strength and he is my salvation. He works all things together for good according to his word. For he is my salvation and he is in where I rejoice. And the Greek word here it means to boast with exuberant joy. What do you boast about? Do you boast about you? Enough of me talking about me. What do you think of me? No. I rejoice and boast in the Lord. My boasting is in Christ and on Christ alone. My boasting can only be in Jesus Christ for what he did. And it's all I can do to contain myself when I see what he does in his hand. Yeah, he might use you. Yeah, sure, exactly. He might use you to do something wonderful, and he has I can go around the room and I can name the people in this room that, where he has done wonderful things, but it's self-edification because our boasting should be in the Lord and him only. And in him, that's where we will greatly boast. I boast and rejoice in the fact that my loving father through his beloved son loved me enough to offer me a way back, to reconcile me through the atoning sacrifice of his son. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. This entire phrase could be the Christian equivalent of the Old Testament exclamation, Hallelujah! Can you say that? Obviously you can't. Can you say hallelujah? hallelujah. I'll get you to be Pentecostal yet! <laughs> yeah, that's right. For what does hallelujah mean? It means praise the Lord. That's all that hallelujah means. We'll close with 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while if need be, You've been grieved by various trials, 
that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, but believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. My circumstances can be pretty bleak sometimes. This is not a very nice place in which we live. People may be against you, trying to bring you down. Things of the world may be strangling you and causing you to be torn. But the Lord is right there always by your side. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And as you go through these things, he's there. He appears in the midst of the storm. He knows that something good is going to happen with the outcome of this. He's our strength. He's our strength and joy. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, Don't sorrow for the joy of the Lord is our strength. David, crying out to the Lord in Psalm 42, asked this question, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? And then he says, Hope in God, for I will praise him for the help of his countenance. Jesus himself looked at the disciples when he knew he was leaving and said in John 14:1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is where our rejoicing comes from. This abiding joy is fitting for the believer because it shows that we really do trust in him. We really do trust in Christ. We really believe that he's in control. And when we believe this, isn't it any surprise that we are filled with joy? So I must ask the question, what causes you to rejoice? Do you rejoice in your circumstances? It's easy when everything's going well. Do you rejoice in things of the world, possession, events, or such? As disciples of Christ, we rejoice in the Lord and the Lord alone. And as a disciple of Christ, we will be sorrowful at the cross. We're sorry at the cross, and our heart breaks at the cross. But there's joy at the resurrection. There's joy at the resurrection because we know our Redeemer lives, and we will stand with him one day, and we will be with him forever. See, the way of salvation, along with the effects of salvation, becomes our testimony. It's what we tell people what Jesus did for us. We should always prepare two testimonies. And I think if you haven't taken time to write out your testimony, you need to do that because it's a wonderful experience. You probably should have a short one and a little longer one because you never really know how much time you have to share with somebody that salvation message and that testimony that you have. I encourage you. The way to salvation, the way the Lord brought you to salvation, and the way he changed your life, the effects of salvation afterwards, that's your testimony, and everybody has one. We studied the effects that I saw today in these scriptures. Generation being born of the Spirit. Restoration being renewed. Making peace. Being repaired and giving restitution. And finally, rejoicing with exceeding great joy. Can you see any of these in your life? Are any of these in your life? You see these. Has your life changed because of salvation in Jesus Christ? You are a sure.
Thank you for joining us here today on A Sure Hope. In this series, Pastor Dave has been teaching through the book of Acts. This book follows the journeys of many disciples, but especially of the Apostle Paul. He took several missionary trips to tell others about Jesus, and he acquired many companions along the way. Wouldn't it be interesting to be a traveling missionary? He met many people who readily accepted the message he was bringing. In other cities, his life was threatened and he was pushed out as people didn't want to hear about the way. But being a Christian isn't meant to just be an easy road. As Paul's life displayed, you go into it knowing that there will be obstacles that you face. Is it worth it, you might ask? Of course it is. The prize that you'll be rewarded is far more precious than the things of this world. Staying true to Jesus, who gave up everything for you, is the best way you can live your life for Him. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. If you're in the area, we'd love to see you on Sunday mornings. Check out AsureHopeRadio.com for service times and directions. Once again, that's AsureHopeRadio.com. And don't worry if you can't make it in person. On the website, you'll notice links to our live stream via Facebook and YouTube. All of these can be accessed through AsureHopeRadio.com. Don't forget to come back next time as Pastor Dave continues to go through the book of Acts again, right here on Assure Hope.